Hi guys, welcome to another episode of From Tip to Tail. This podcast is sponsored by Cuddly, a fundraising and wishlist platform dedicated to helping animal rescues around the world. I am Sydney. And I'm Bridget. Today we're speaking to Kay and Danny from Jersey Pitts Rescue, a rescue providing necessary care to stray, abandoned, and surrendered dogs for the purpose of finding them loving, permanent homes. They also provide medical care and financial aid to prevent overpopulation through spaying and neutering. They aim to inform and educate the community on the importance of spaying and neutering their dogs and the proper way to care for animals. So let's get started. So hi there, ladies. How are you today? We're good. How are you? Great. How are you guys? Good, good. good. Um, so Jersey Pitts Rescue. <laughs> how, how have you been doing um, throughout quarantine here? Um, things been okay? Today. Yeah, things are obviously not that great in New Jersey right now, but um, the one benefit that's come of this in our area is that a lot of the shelters are actually empty. So, um, yeah, yeah, people are like almost like desperate for a dog at this point. I mean, we've had dogs that have been with us for months that we couldn't get adopted for anything and they've been adopted and they're doing great. So, um, yeah, people are like uh, requesting to foster and we're like, we, we don't even have dogs. We can't even find you a dog anywhere. So, oh, that's um, super nice. I was wondering because yeah. I, I wasn't sure if you guys were, um, if you guys were getting like an influx of animals. Because I know a lot of a lot of um, organizations were trying to take in as many as possible when the shelters were closing. Um, so that's, I mean, that's that's so amazing that you guys are almost empty. Yeah, it's it's been great. Our friend called it the golden hour of rescue. <laughs> <laughs> that's accurate. That's so true. Oh my gosh. Well, so going back a little bit, I mean, so how did you both get started in rescue? Kendall, do you want to start or? (laughs) Yeah, sure. So um, I've been doing this since I was old enough to do it, which in New Jersey was 14. And that meant like picking up poop and cleaning water bowls and doing laundry for the shelters. So I just started at 14 and um, continued, you know, I went to school then in Virginia, I continued there. And that was um, my first experience with like a kill shelter. Um, so the shelter I had been growing up, you know, volunteering in, it's not a kill shelter. And it's a very privileged shelter and they have a lot of funds and resources. So it was kind of like, um, you know, getting introduced to rescue with, you know, rose colored glasses on. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Virginia and um, I just fell in love with this one pit bull there and she was amazing. And I would go there, you know, three days a week and just walk her and bond with her. She didn't have any behavioral issues, but it was an overcrowded shelter. And one day I showed up after class and I'm like, where's Diamond? And no one wanted to give me an answer. And, you know, I put the pieces of the puzzle together and I realized what happened to her and she was euthanized for space. And for me, that was my first time really witnessing anything like that. And um, it was hard for me because I felt like I let her down. So I was constantly after college looking for ways to avoid letting an animal down again. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I literally on my 18th birthday, I saw a post that a dog was going to be euthanized at um, a a city shelter. 
and it was on Craigslist. And I just like got in my car and went and adopted this pit bull and like put her in my back seat with my friend. And I like looked in the back seat. The dog was on a zip tie because they didn't even have a collar. Have like a collar. And so I look in my back seat. I was like, oh my gosh. I'm like, what am I going to do with you? I'm like, you better be nice. Like, I don't know what to do with you. So I called every friend and I finally got one of my friends to agree to take her and he fostered her. It was like so not done, obviously. <laughs> he fostered her and then um, one of his friends ended up adopting her. And this was when I was 18, so 12 years ago. And she actually just passed um, a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. She lived like a long, amazing life with a wonderful mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, from there, I met Danielle at um, – Newark Animal Shelter. We were both volunteering there. And we were kind of dabbling with other rescues, volunteering with them. And we started noticing a trend in New Jersey where a lot of people are bringing up dogs from the South. And we couldn't understand that when we have shelters here with 50% kill rates. Um, You know, every life matters, don't get me wrong, but we just couldn't understand why are we constantly helping other states when our state is suffering and tens of thousands of dogs are being euthanized here. So she and I kind of really connected on that because an affection for focusing right now in our own backyard. And when there's no dogs left here that need our help, of course, we'd expand Mm -hmm. our efforts. But that's obviously a pipe dream. So, yeah, it's wild. So, like um, Kay mentioned, I actually had no interest ever of like adopting a pit bull not because I didn't love them I just didn't know anything about them or he wasn't looking for a dog actually (laughs) and I happened to see my dog posted on Instagram being given away and I was like I said to my husband I was like let's just look at this dog and he's like let's go get it so like on a Tuesday night we just drove to Brooklyn after work (laughs) and met this pit bull his name is Macho he's the best and um he like we had nothing for a dog we didn't have a crate we didn't have anything and we just brought him (laughs) home that Tuesday night um he just turned out to be like you know he changed my life in so many ways and that's when I decided like I really wanted to start focusing on volunteering somewhere where it was mostly pit bulls so as Kay mentioned I started um volunteering at the Newark shelter um which is full of you know, bully breed dogs. And we started working, you know, with other rescues and we learned so much from like volunteering with other rescues. But again, um, we really wanted to focus on New Jersey. We really wanted to focus on pit bulls in New Jersey. And that's when we decided to just do our own thing. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that. I love that. Yeah. I love that because you see so many rescues and so many people who feel really passionately about one breed. Um, Mm -hmm. And I feel like sometimes it can feel like just in general, like I like this breed in like a very abstract way, but I love that you were both, like you both met a dog that like convinced you to love this breed so much. (laughs) That's so cool. And it's like their personality and like their like love they were giving, like Mm -hmm. that brought you into all this. Um, That's very special and very sweet. Well, so there are two of you, but how how big is your organization right now then? (laughs) It's really just us pretty much. Um, We're just volunteers. We both work full time. And um, we have Paige. She's our adoption foster coordinator. She is amazing. She handles all of our applications, home checks, vet checks, everything. 
And then we have a merch manager, which we've recently brought on um, to help with our JPR gear because poor Danielle was doing all of that. And she, <laughs> she works corporate. So like, she's like walking in her door at 730 and then she's packing stuff up to like nine. <laughs> we so we have someone doing that now. And we have someone helping with the fundraising. So really there's just a core group of five volunteers. Wow. Yeah. And what Kendall and I really handle is like, we're the, we go into the shelters, we meet the dogs, you know, we, you know, are evaluating. Mm -hmm. We do a lot of the meets, we handle all the vet care, making appointments, things like that. Oh my gosh, you guys do so much for just <laughs> like, this, like so many, like five people. All yeah, the social media. <laughs> no, that's amazing. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. That's incredible. Well, so since you both have full-time jobs and just, I guess this is passion project. I don't know, side hustle. <laughs> um, um, so you kind of talked about it a little bit. Um, how are you able to continually take in animals given the cost and the space required then? That's. Well, I mean, I'll speak in terms of the cost and then if Danielle wants to speak in terms of space. Um, yeah. So um, this is not a plug by any means, but Cuddly has been amazing for us. <laughs> Um, I will never forget, like, when Sid like, messaged me through <laughs> the rescue, and she's like, hey, like, can we do, like, fundraisers for you guys? Like, we'd love to help. And I was like, this has scam written all over it. <laughs> I remember that. Someone wants to help us? What? Yeah. <laughs> and I texted Danielle, and I'm like, hey, did you see this? Like, what are your thoughts? And she's like, oh, I mean, like, what cut do they take? Like, you know, like, let's look at this. And then, like, we were like, wait actually this is like real this is legit and we were like let's give it a go and so we did our first fundraiser and when I tell you I mean we've raised thousands of dollars through Cuddly and the supplies that's huge because initially Danielle and I were paying for a lot of stuff out of pocket because the donations were getting through social media it's just basically covering vet bills if that so, you know, we treat our dogs and our rescue the same we treat our own. So they're all on great quality food. We have them all on vitamins and minerals and supplements. I mean, you name it, they're on it. So all of a sudden we have, you know, we work full time, as we mentioned. So we're already tight on time. We don't necessarily have all the time to do the fundraisers, like the professional way you guys are able to. And we, when I tell you, there have been days where we've come home and we literally have 15 box piled up outside <laughs> of our apartment or our homes from the work list. So mm -hmm. to be honest with you, Cuddly has been such a major asset in terms of funding and mm -hmm. in terms of supplies and everything. So from the bottom of our hearts, we thank you guys so much. Like, oh my we gosh. Mm -hmm. Thanks, we you. You're Very the best. Thanks. And then, you know, outside of Cuddly, we just, we rely on social media for funding. Um, that's, we've had some events, you know, like a, a few CrossFit um, gyms that have sponsored events for us, or we try to do fun things, um, like bar crawls, which everything had to be canceled, obviously, because of COVID. But, you know, in terms of funding, we're very lucky we have through Cuddly and through our social media, we've been very successful with that. And then, yeah. um, and merch, merch has been huge too. Mm -hmm. It's been a big help. Oh, love the merch. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, y'all can speak in terms of space and how we handle that. Yeah. So when it comes to um, pulling dogs and finding places for them to go and doing all that, we're so, so lucky that we have such a big, like, following on social media and things like that. So we're, we're lucky. We get great fosters who continuously foster for us. And if we didn't have them, we honestly would not be able to pull the amount of dogs that we do because 
we don't have a facility. We try really, really hard to never board a dog. Like we don't want to take a dog from a shelter and just stick it in a boarding facility. It's not something we try to do. Mm -hmm. Um, so all of our dogs go right into foster homes. Um, once in a while, like we do work with really great vets and if there's an emergency and we don't have a foster open, they'll hold the dog for a day or two while we work to find a foster. But how many fosters we have available, really, that's what drives how many dogs that we can pull from a shelter. That's amazing. Yeah. That's, oh, we're so it, lucky. We couldn't do any of what we do without our fosters, honestly. It sounds like so much to coordinate too. I mean, you've, you've got some people here and like, I feel like, I mean, especially working in nine to five too, it's just like, there's like a good chunk of your day that you like can't necessarily go to, to all this. And you guys are still, yeah. you must have so much energy. My goodness. <laughs> no, we're always Not exhausted and we've aged a hundred years. Yeah. <laughs> in two. People ask me like, how old are you? I'm like 130. I was 30. It's, we don't have a day off. Um, you know, in the beginning, we were like, let's just have three dogs at a time because we believe in quality over quantity. And so we want to make sure that those dogs in our care, like we don't want anyone falling through the cracks. We don't want anyone missing vaccines or, you know, not getting the supplies they need. Or we we provide our fosters with all supplies and we cover all vetting costs. So And training. Know, first, mm -hmm. Training. So at first we just, you know, let's just do three at a time. And then we kind of kept growing, building our foster network, you know, obviously meeting guys, you know, you guys and everything. And so it's gotten a little crazy. Like we had a really, really crazy month where I think we had like 15 to 20 dogs at the same time. And that was not pretty. Um, no. Yeah. So, you know, that's been kind of one of the benefits of this COVID situation is that we were able to get all of our dogs adopted and kind of slow things down and just kind of, you know, rebuild again. So, um, we do try to keep it small because, um, yes, we'd love to save hundreds of dogs every year, obviously like thousands who wouldn't. Right. But for us, it's like quality over quantity. And we always think like my dog came from a rescue and I always think like, how would I have wanted her to be treated by that rescue? Mm -hmm. And, you know, like people always say like, Oh, I know. Like sometimes even vets will say like, Oh, I know this dog. I know it's like a rescue. Do you want to run this test? And it's like, it, this dog's not a rescue. Like, this is someone's future family member. Mm -hmm. and like, he, for now, this dog's our family member. And yeah. we, will do, we will spare no expense. Like, we'd rather take three dogs and be able to get them the extensive care that they need than take 20 and be able to do, like, maybe half, you know? Like, yeah. We never want to be in a position where we have to say, like, no, don't run this test or no, don't do that ultrasound. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. We really our dogs. Totally. Yeah, we've done, we've done heart surgeries. We've done everything we possibly can. When we commit to a dog, we commit to that dog to the end. So yeah. whatever it needs, we do. That's so special too. I mean, because I think, I think there is that thought process of like, it's a rescue dog. So it's like this like leftover, like who, like who knows what kind of care they've been given? Who knows what, what they've been through and things like that. So the thought that like you're investing so much and make making these animals into something and you're valuing them so much for their potential future home. I mean, that's such a special thing. Um, and it's like, they're probably getting better care than some dogs who are like bought from a pet store. And yeah. <laughs> so for sure. Yeah, absolutely. 
yeah, we try to, you know, give them the best care that we can because we want people to find adopting to be a pleasant experience, right? So if I, first of all, think of the people who are willing to adopt a pit bull. It's a small pool, okay? And then if they have a horrible experience, they share that with people, there goes the pool, right? Mm -hmm. And if they have a wonderful experience, then great, they'll tell their friends or tell their family. Mm -hmm. And then that's more lives saved, right? So we don't want to give someone a dog and they bring it for an exam. And the first exam, the vet's like, this dog's a mess. You, we need to do $2,000 worth of work here. Yeah. They're, they're going to be turned off. But if we give someone a dog, we give them all of their paperwork, all of their, you know, medical, everything. Mm-hmm. And you're good to go essentially for a year, you know? So um, I think that will kind of keep people interested in the adoption process. Definitely. Definitely. That's amazing. Well, so and on top of, oh, sorry, Bridget, go. No, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say like, so on, on top of, um, on top of the dogs that you rescue, um, being that you guys are pit bull oriented, I know that you guys do a lot of, um, educating as well as you do rescuing. Um, cause I know there's a lot of discrimination that comes with pit bulls, a lot of stereotypes. Um, I guess touching base on those, um, what can you say to those people who, um, you know, have those particularly bad views about pit bulls that are untrue. Because you guys are with them. You guys know that they're goofy and things like that. Um, but a lot of people don't see them that way. Yeah, For sure. I, I, I experienced that. Oh, sorry, Kendall. No, I was just going to say, I spend probably, unless I'm at work, 95% of my free time, I'm around a pit bull within five feet of them. And I still have my face intact. So that's <laughs> a living testament, I think, right? <laughs> For sure. I've I've experienced it with my own family. Like, I grew up with, like labs and you know golden retrievers and that kind of a thing exactly and um when I got my dog macho my dad was like what are you doing like isn't he (laughs) dangerous and now like when I go away my dad's like can I sleep over so I can watch macho (laughs) like my brother like snaps pictures of them cuddling on the couch he's like he even told me just a couple weeks ago he's like you know because I met your dog like my opinion has changed so much on this breed yep. and he's like my neighbor who has pit bulls like I buy him treats now and like yeah. all product so, of their environment they totally like yeah what would you say then are like quintessential traits of a pit bull then <laughs> <laughs> I know it's hard to pin Gosh, down exactly so one thing for an entire breed for sure but I mean oh. since people do have this idea of like a, a violent angry dog I'd love to yeah <laughs> I mean, for me, just if I could choose one word to describe an entire, the entire breed of pit bulls, it would be just resilient mm-hmm. or forgiving. I mean, I like, I get the chills when I think about this and like, I get choked up because we've literally seen dogs like in their worst mm-hmm. possible. And we've seen dogs that get that way because of human neglect and abuse and exploitation. These dogs, they don't ask to be born. They don't ask to be brought into this life. They don't ask to be let down or abused or neglected. There is nothing about them that deserves that treatment. And the fact that some people find that okay is beyond me. I'll never, ever understand how you can do that to an animal. But the fact that then these animals can be so resilient and so forgiving, like we've had puppies set on fire. We've had dogs used for bait. We had a dog that was starved. She was 17 pounds, an adult pit bull. 
and like these dogs they can't even lift their heads and they're wagging their tail when you walk into the exam room and they're licking your face so for me they're so resilient and they stand for so much and that's why I choose to advocate for them because they're so it's like poetic it's it's like poetry in motion watching these dogs grow from a little puppy set on fire to now living with two children in the suburbs of New Jersey in a big, beautiful yard with a family who loves him and would do anything for him. And, you know, these dogs, they don't have a voice. And the reason why they're so often exploited is because they're so loving and forgiving towards their humans. They would do anything. Mm -hmm. And that's why they use them for fighting because when you go to break up the fight, they don't turn on their owner. Right. And, and they want to do anything to please their owner. Yeah. And, and it's like, for me, like, think of human nature, right? Like you go through like a bad breakup or a bad experience at a, even at a restaurant or something as humans, we're like, oh, we're never going back there or, you know, oh, I'm never dating again or, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, when you think of what these animals are overcoming, if someone set me on fire, I wouldn't be able to look at another human being again. So like, how can we count these guys out? You know, like just because they have big blocky heads, like we should just count them out. <laughs> you know, like for me, that just never makes sense. And people ask Danielle and I all the time, like, what's wrong with you? Like, why pit bulls? And we say to them, well, why not pit bulls? If you mm-hmm. go to any shelter, the majority of the animals there are pit bulls, right? Why not them? They deserve this chance. They're so beautiful. It gives me chills. I'm thinking of like all like, like you're saying like puppies on fire. I'm like, oh, that's Tyler. Like, you know, like seeing his transformation and like the dog that he is now, like, oh, it's crazy. And like, it just makes us so sad because like, you know, we have recently a mom and puppies that I think you did a fundraiser for them. And like, Mm -hmm. yeah, and she was like giving birth in a utility closet. She's covered in her own blood and urine and feces. And it's like, think of like just um, humans, right? Like Mm -hmm. the the maternal instinct to protect your babies, right? Can you imagine like being forced to live in those conditions where every day you're afraid for your babies and you don't, your needs aren't being met and you're just trying to meet the needs of your babies? Like it just, none of these animals ask for that. They don't ask for this, you know, like this isn't their choice. And it just, you know, it breaks our hearts what we see these animals go through. It's, it's horrible. And just when we think we've seen the worst, like we see something so much worse. And then once like, it's like, it's always worse. Like it's always getting more and more horrible. Mm -hmm. Like just when we think you've seen it all, like. I don't know. Something else comes in top of it. It's sad. Never ending. Definitely. I mean, and it is so hard. I mean, you see so many of these images too. Like even for us, I feel like we see, it almost Mm -hmm. becomes like not real. Like how many images we see all the time. And we're just like, oh my gosh, like a new creative way that someone's done something terrible to an animal. Um, and right. I, I think a lot of people talk talk to us even and they're like, I don't know how you do what you do. But I think mm-hmm. for us, because of the work that you guys have done, I mean, it makes everything, it makes it tolerable because we see what you do and we see how you make these, you take in these animals and like, by all means, you probably even have like veterinarians who would say like this, yeah. stop oh. the suffering, like let's, let's just... Yeah. 
um, euthanize this dog like humanely because there's just too much that's gone wrong. And I think from our end, we've seen that that dog, if it's willing to keep fighting, like and, we keep and, fighting exactly. Absolutely, yeah. And we've had watching, we've had that before. We we've gone against the you know recommendation of our vet, and we're like, we have to try. Like, let us just try. Yeah, <laughs> Obviously, definitely. We never like prolong any suffering, but of course. Like some, you can tell when they're ready to let go and you can tell when they still want to fight. And like what Danny's saying, we've had so many cases. Like Danny, were you thinking about Eeyore? I was thinking about Eeyore, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. He had such a bad blockage. It is like in his intestines, it was as though like it was concrete because it was left untreated for so long. And like our vet was like, we just don't think we can possibly get this out. You know, without doing more damage, they were scared too of doing more damage. And she, she actually, we were like, please reach out to everyone you know. And she Uh called specialists and Uh other hospitals and like got advice from other doctors, and it it worked. Like he's still alive, but (laughs) adopted and doing great. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, we like we talked to um, Zach from Raleigh's Mutts last week about something kind of similar, where. He was, I think he was told basically the same thing with, with one of his dogs and, mm-hmm. and they were able to like come full circle. Cause they were telling him like, you can't amputate this dog's like front, front legs. Like that's no quality of life. And then they did. And this dog is totally happy. And because of that, it's become this thing where he's like, no, when we can do this again, like now that we know this is possible and that this dog is not sacrificing any quality of life at all, like this can be like added into the the playbook basically. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of like your pioneers a little bit. Um, doing yeah, these things. We had Reese. Um, she was like, she's a grown pit bull. She's supposed to be like 40, 45 pounds, but she was only 17. She was intentionally starved. And that was really the first time we ever got comments from the public. Like, what are you doing? Just euthanize that dog. Like all the money you're spending on her vet bills, just euthanize her. You could save so many dogs. And it's like, we've never even thought about it that way. It's like, this is a life. Like, what would I want for me or for my dog? Like, she made it this far at 17 pounds with no help from anybody. Now she's in the best hands at one of the best hospitals in New Jersey. Like we're not going to spare any expense. We'll fundraise for her and we'll do what we can for her. But like, um, you can't put a price on a life, whether it's an animal or a human, there's no price you can put on a life. And, you know, we believe that these animals, they cross paths with us for a reason. And our lives for a reason and we learn so much from every animal that we rescue and we grow so much like from missy and her babies we never had a family like that and danny and i have learned so much from that experience alone mm-hmm. so it's, how do you just put a price on a life and say like oh it's expensive forget it like is that what you would say for like one of your family members because this is someone's family our family member now but will be someone's family member soon yeah. you know yeah. Well, and I feel like a lot of people that are saying that too, they're not physically there with the dog, you know, they're not seeing, right. um, you know, that look in their eyes that just tells you like they want to fight or like, you know, they're just like reading um, the story and they're just Crazy. sort of assuming what's best. They're not, you know, you guys are the ones that are physically taking care of you guys are going to know what's going to be best. And um, yeah, I think well, that's kind of where it comes from. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, and so how long after a pet is healed or as is, in their top peak position in, in health <laughs> um, and they're available for adoption. How quickly do your dogs tend to get adopted? 
it really depends on the dog. Like we've had dogs that, you know, go in weeks, a week, you know, people want that dog right away. Or we have some other dogs that like, like Carlo, for instance, who was with us for a year and he's like a really great dog and we couldn't figure out why he wasn't being adopted. Um, so it really depends. It depends on the dog. Sometimes it depends, you know, it depends on the story. Of course, as soon as Reese was available, everyone, you know, we got a bunch Mm -hmm. of applications for her, but, um, it really, it it depends from dog to dog, honestly, same with foster, like how long they're, you know, they're in foster or how long it takes them to get a dog, you know, it all depends on the dog. We try not to really have them in foster for longer than they need to be because, um, like for you know, we feel like if they're in foster for so long, at what point does it become like rehoming them? Yeah, right. You know, like, because like, it's like, okay, well, you've been with this foster for, let's say, six months, eight months. That dog is now settled in, right? It's mm-hmm. not, really, it doesn't really feel like as temporary. It feels more like that's become their family. And then it's like, okay, well, it's been eight months. Now it kind of feels like more like rehoming them. Yeah. Getting them yeah. adopted, right? So, we really like put a lot of effort into our social media and to constantly networking our dogs because I would say we have had a few cases obviously where they have some behavioral issues or whatever that they take longer and that's to be expected because they need training. But I would say typically, and Danielle, you can correct me if I'm wrong, we average probably about like three weeks a month. Yep. I I was going to say three to five weeks probably once they're like healthy and ready to go. And then sometimes depending on the dog, like we'll, if, if they have interest, like an, um, adopter who's interested, we'll say like, okay, like, do you want to take the dog now and like work through the medical? Obviously we would cover everything, but like be there for that dog while it's going through its medical issues since you are planning to adopt her anyway or him. So it really depends. No, that's great. I love that with the medical, um, because I mean, yeah, I've, I feel like we've seen ourselves like so many fosters who become so bonded, um, especially if they're like changing a dog's like diaper or like treating their wounds and like being right there for them. Like it's got to be so hard to just be like, and off you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can't imagine. They're way stronger than I am. Seriously, like I, we like idolize our fosters. They are the most selfish, great, selfish, selfish, <laughs> great human beings. Like for them to be able to open their homes and like what Bridget is saying, like to essentially nurse a dog back to health and like change diapers and like nurse their wounds or put weight on them. To, and then to be like, okay, bye. You know, like and I've talked to fosters and, you know, Danielle's had conversations too. And they say it never gets easier. The only thing that helps them get through is just knowing like they're going to an amazing family and they're going to have a great life. But people say to Danny and I like, oh, thank you so much for what you do. And it's like, no, don't thank us. Like thank our fosters. They're the ones really like doing the nitty gritty, you know? Yeah, for sure. Would you say you guys, I know um, a lot of people don't like the term foster fail, but have you guys had a lot of like foster fails where a dog will go into foster care and those people just have, you know, grown so attached to that animal that they end up keeping it? We've had a couple for sure. Um, but I would say like a lot of our fosters are pretty strong, you know, <laughs> they, it's amazing. It's amazing. They, they keep laser focus like Mm -hmm. this is what I'm doing and my job is to find this dog a home which is great because every time we have a foster fail although we love you know we love foster fails our dogs are going to great homes but we're losing another foster yeah you know yeah so 
we have like repeat fosters um, who just constantly one dog after the other will foster for us. And, you know, we've had like, we have more, I would say foster to adopt situations where they're like fostering, make sure it's a good fit. Um, But we've had, like Danny said, very few actual foster fails. Our fosters are tough. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, for sure. That's great, too. I love the foster to adopt program because I think, too, like it's so hard when you meet a dog for like what, like a 20 minute session and to be like, and I commit to you for life. Um, So (laughs) having that option of being like, let's take you in and like, let's see how, like, do you, do you work well with our family? Do you, are you happy here? Like, is this a good fit for both of us? Um, And I imagine that just probably makes the adoption process a little bit easier and you probably get less returns that way too. Yeah, so like I had learned a lot about that whole process of fostering to adopt through my parents. They have a male pit and he's like 13 now. And about three years ago, they adopted a younger female pit. And like, it was cool because I only have one dog, Gracie. That's literally all I can handle. I am like a paranoid helicopter mom. I don't think my heart much more. But they brought in a second dog and I got to witness the whole process. And like my parents are obviously so nervous about that. And so they did foster to adopt and it just made them feel like so much more relaxed and there was less pressure on the situation. And um, they enjoyed it a lot more rather than feeling like they have to make it work. Obviously, if it wasn't working, they'd keep that dog until adoption. But thankfully, it worked out great and they were able to, um, they ended up adopting her and it's been amazing. So it does kind of take that pressure off the situation. Yeah. Doesn't hurt that she's the best dog ever, too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so, I mean, there are, obviously, there have been a lot of adoptions going on. Did you say that you're completely empty right now, or? Mm, We have a senior who we just took during this whole pandemic, which we, we were trying not to take in too many dogs, but we couldn't turn our back on him. So we have him, and then we have two females that we're still working on getting adopted. So right now, we have three dogs, and then, um, two puppies, but that's it. That's pretty small for us right now. (laughs) And they're all situated. They're all situated. Like no, nothing's up in the air, you know? Yeah, I don't want to jinx it. No real, real. I know. (laughs) Sorry, I knocked on wood and my dog's barking now. (laughs) I think it's going to happen once every episode Mm -hmm. for us here. So (laughs) all of us have dogs surrounding us, I think. So it's, I can't believe we've lasted this long. I know. know. I'm waiting for Ben to bark right now and he's not. (laughs) Well, so for a family that's potentially considering adopting a dog, what, what would you say to them? Why, why should they consider a pit bull? <laughs> I mean, because it's the best dog in the world. Yeah. <laughs> They're the best. They're so sweet. They have a great temperament, super playful. So it's a lot of energy, you know? So if you have young, if you're a young family or have young kids, you get a young pit bull. They have a lot of energy. They can keep up with the kids. So many reasons. <laughs> I, I can go for hours on why you adopt a pit bull so <laughs> I, I just feel like you should adopt a pit bull because they need the help the most and they're so deserving of the help and mm-hmm. you know if you really want to make a difference in the life of an animal adopting a pit bull is just the way to go I mean we see it all the time when like small fluffy dogs come into the pound first of all they don't even let them go to rescue because they can get them adopted themselves so quickly yeah. right right you can have like a fluffy biting killer dog <laughs> and it will get adopted in 30 seconds you have the most friendly loving pit bull in the world bomb it'll sit for weeks mm-hmm. yeah weeks, months. 
So, um, you know, if you're really looking to make a difference, I just feel like it's the way to go. For sure. That's totally true. Definitely true. Um, well, so we've got some kind of fun questions for you now. Definitely gave me chills on like this 85 degree day here in California, which is so pretty not hard bragging. to do. <laughs> oh, definitely not bragging. <laughs> um, it's like 40 here. <laughs> well, so, okay. You both have, do you, um, do you both have just one dog each? Yes. Yes. Okay, because we have, <laughs> we have single dogs. Like they're not great with other dogs. Mm. So, yeah. I mean, that's, if I feel like if I was a dog, that'd probably be me. <laughs> I'm like, I like all the attention, please. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So if your dogs were president, what would be the first thing they did? Oh God! <laughs> uh, if Gracie was president, the first thing she would do is eat a banana. She's obsessed with bananas. I was gonna say Macho would definitely eat something and tell everyone else that they can eat as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just food oriented. Oh, yeah. for sure. Oh yeah, and Gracie would just love to boss everyone around. I don't really think she'll want people having fun. Like other dogs aren't allowed to have fun around her. Bossing <laughs> everyone around. Um, she would definitely roll all over the carpets in the White House. She would love it. <laughs> and so what's, what's one trick your dogs have taught you? Oh, man. My dog has taught me how to stay calm, honestly. Um, I know it's supposed to be a fun question. I'm about to get super deep. But, yeah. um, so, like, I've always had anxiety my whole life, um, pretty much. And um, when I adopted Gracie, I started giving her to training. And the trainer was always talking to me about, like, you need to control your energy. And I never knew how to do that before. So it was my first experience with, like, controlling my own energy and just making sure I was, like, in a calm, confident state. And um, I learned a lot about, like, how to assert myself, too, because um, obviously you need to, like, give boundaries and structure to your dogs. And uh, so, like, I learned a lot about that with Gracie, and then it's kind of carried into, like, my professional life, my personal relations. I think, um, oh, my gosh, what Macho has taught me. I think. Well, the importance of spelling things out, because I can't say the word walk or toy or treat. So, and definitely, I would, say, um, I would say patience for sure. Like when I got yeah. him, I um, we, we dealt with some behavioral issues in the beginning. Um, just we went through a lot for a short period of time and he's turned out to be like the most amazing dog. But um, just to just take it easy, take it day by day, stay calm, be patient, and it'll all work out. Like, that's what he's taught me. Nice. Just hit you right, right in the, right in the heart. <laughs> okay. And then if you each had to pick one life motto, what would it be? Less people, more dogs. <laughs> oh, Less man. People, more you dogs. took mine. That's a good one. <laughs> I like that a lot. I, I like that a lot. Yeah. That's, that sounds great. That's even that, would be, that would be it. You took mine too, for sure. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. Well, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on, ladies. This has been so fun. I love hearing about everything you're doing. It's like so wildly inspiring. I mean, it's 
truly incredible what you're that you're going into such hard situations and you're like basically spinning gold out out of it so that's so great you guys are so sweet we love you guys yeah we couldn't, you. We couldn't do it without you so thank you for all of your support and everything it means a lot to us we really appreciate it Sid's like become our best friend we love you Sid. Thank you. <laughs> nice well thanks again um and yeah We'll we'll talk to you soon. <laughs> Sounds okay. good. Have a great weekend. Bye, Thank guys. You. All right, bye. We loved talking to Kay and Danny. They're doing such amazing work nurturing pit bulls in the New Jersey area and banishing inaccurate stereotypes. If you want to learn a little bit more about Jersey Pits Rescue, you can find more information in our show notes or on our blog at cuddly.com. And remember to rate, like, and subscribe. And be sure to follow Cuddly on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at We Love Cuddly. That's C U D D L Y. All right, bye, guys. Thanks.